One of the most inventive, diverse, and exciting cuisines that is gaining prominence here in the U.S. and across the world is Spanish cuisine. And like in all great countries with a rich culinary history, the best food can often be the most traditional. For this week's Please Explain, we decided to dive into the world of Spanish food, and I'm very pleased to be enjoyed to be joined. By enjoyed as well to be joined by Alexandra Reich and Eder Montero. They are the chefs and owners of El Quinto Pino, La Vara, Chiquito, and Chiquito, New York's only Basque restaurant. Welcome to the show. Please forgive some of my pronunciations. I am very new to ba Basque food, but I have been coming to your restaurants in Chelsea for years. We used to live just a block or two away, and we loved going Chiquito and El Quinto Pino. Um, we want to ask you, our audience, to join the conversation as well. Do you have a question about Spanish food? Give us a call at 212-433-9692 or write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. So since your book, the Basque, um, your book is called The Basque Book, your beautiful new book, which I have here today, let's start with the Basque region. What's the history of this area? Well, Edder's probably better about um, offering historical information. I, I'm, I'm very much a culinarian, and that's sort of how I um, connect with history, geography, and the world. So I, um, I love to talk about the Basque country, but I'll let Edder tell you a little bit more about the history of the Basques, because um, well, the Basque has been like around for. Like from from forever, pretty much, because they were there where we still are, even before the Latin, where like the Romans conquered like the Iberian Peninsula and stuff. So it's a really old culture, and that it hasn't been. I mean, it's been evolving with the years of like new discoveries. Like America was the discoverment, like the Basque, like got influenced by, and that's how this thing has been moving. Like we've been growing up of like keeping our roots or like our history alive and integrating new things into it. This area is pre-Roman? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the language, its they say, is one of the oldest languages in Europe, which they not really know what the roots are connected to. It's different versions. They could be like, they say it could be like connected to the um, Georgian Peninsula and Russia, also like with some African tribals. The way they think is like, was it all tribal coming from the north? We ended up like looking where the past countries right now in the Gulf of Biscay which is a really prominent area because it has the sea, the Pyrenees, so all the weather is really good and you pretty much have anything that you want and that's the reflection the, in the cuisine also. You say in the introduction of your book that Basque cooking is simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Right. And it's interesting for me to read that because so often they're put together in culinary and cooking conversations these days. How would you say that it's simple but not easy? It's simple because... Um, the ingredients are very recognizable, so it's easy to say, oh, it just tastes like peppers or it just tastes <laughs> like tomatoes, and that is absolutely the point. Um, but there is a sense of, I don't know what I would call it, probably improperly like collective uh, individuality there. Um, but people, uh, the personal details that you impose upon the cuisine are are how you express yourself, but there is a, a common vernacular, and one of the hallmarks of the cuisine is that it must be um, y your hand 
should only be noticeable in as much as you're enhancing the quality, but but you're you're not front and center. It's the thing, whether it's a fish or the tomato, or the um, anchovy. But they're not cutters. You know, it's not raw food being cut. It's not that kind of like because it's farm to table. Farm to table is a precondition of bass cooking, but it is not the story. The story is the people and the language and sitting around the table and how how generous that is 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 what you feel when you're eating this food. You also say that professional cooks would get better if they practiced bass cooking. How come? Uh because I think it teaches you to um become intimate with the ingredients. Uh, you repeat the use of, of similar or same ingredients over and over and over again, often from, if you're in the Basque Country, from your own garden. But if um, you're in an urban place in the Basque Country, you go to the same butcher, the same uh, market stall, the same, like, sort of corner place, and you become... Uh, repetition is, is sort of a luxury of professional cooks, but it's not always the luxury of a home cook. And um, that kind of... Uh, repeating the same sort of techniques over and over again you become very familiar and you know what to look for and you're listening you're smelling you're watching and uh, it it changes the way it makes you in a very sort of adaptive cook flexible In the culinary world, we we now think of Spanish food as hyper modern the works of chefs like Farron Adria has Basque food entered a modernist phase? Because I feel like that's not... It did. It yeah. does. It, 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 I think they went hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, there was a movement in Catalonia and in the Basque country. Um, I, you can I even think that, like, for Adria, not to take anything from him, because there's no way, but, like, um, Juan Maria Arzac, which he was, like, a chef from San Sebastian, which still has three Michelin star, was one of the first ones in the 70s we start like going towards that kind of using the right product with you know keeping as simple as possible and just giving the flavor that it belongs to it in order to not giving too many sauces like this attaching a little bit from the whole French saucy thing and he was one of the first ones who like and they call still the father of the Basque cuisine but when you talk about cuisine Basque it demarks pretty much the whole Spanish cuisine. The Spanish cuisine came up after, and like it is true that it's completely different from north to south because it's it's a small country itself. But like the difference because he has so many cultural approaches and so many people passing by, that like it's really rich and different from one place to another. Like he was the first one who like through Basque cuisine like started giving a little open door to everybody else to like start developing different region cuisines. I was going to also add just that I think when you have a, like a traditional cuisine and Spain has several, um, that uh, that that allows for a high – once the high cuisine starts to be established, it brings value to the traditional cuisine again. So I think that they really um, support each other. This like, um, And I think there used to be a tension between the modern – at first, it was like the traditional led into the modern, and then I think there was a tension between the modern and the traditional. And I think now in Spain, there's like this really kind of sweet spot uh, where people are doing both. 
I'm speaking with Alexandra Rake and Eder Montero, the chefs and owners of El Quinto Pino, La Vara, and Chiquito, New York's only Basque restaurant for this week's Please Explain about Spanish and Basque food. I'm Deb Perlman, in today for Leonard Lope. You're listening to WNYC and WNYC.org. I want to talk so much about your cookbook. First of all, I actually hadn't even realized that this was your first cookbook. I felt like you'd been around for so long, and I assumed <laughs> this was your fifth or your sixth. So this is a really, it's a very large undertaking. Um, for us it is, yeah, This is we're with, not cookbook writers. <laughs> and you have restaurants, and you have yeah. children, and probably very busy lives. Yeah. And I love that the first recipe in the book is for mayonnaise, which is such a divisive ingredient among American cooks. Right. It, it cracks me up because I love it. I do, too. Why did you choose this as your first recipe? Well, actually, mayonnaise is one of the first things I made with my grandmother, and it was it completely demystified cooking for me. Like I thought it was so weird that you could actually take two forks and make this thing that you're supposed to buy at the grocery store. I'm like, um, you can make it with two forks. You can. <laughs> yeah. See, that's and, the first thing I'm doing wrong. And, well, you can make it in a blender. You can make it in, in a Cuisinart, or you can make it with a whisk. Like, wow. there are so many. And, and all of those things will... Um, determine the color, the texture, and the flavor of your mayonnaise, which is so crazy. There's such a range. But I did it because the Spaniards have such a high regard for a lot of foods that we consider taboo. And for some people, that's mayonnaise. For other people, it's like anchovy. Um, but I think that by experiencing Basque cuisine in the Basque country sometimes even, or even from home, you can learn to love things you never thought you'd love. And mayonnaise is a, a brilliant concoction. It's it's used a lot in Basque cooking? It's, um, yeah, as a condiment, but also it's just, it's a valued sauce. It has the same status as... Um, I'm trying to think of like a veal reduction, like a demi gloss. Like they they just don't they don't have as many food taboos as we do. Like they you know they're not Beautiful. like oh this has been commercialized it's on the shelf and so it must be bad. Like canned food's not bad it's good and mayonnaise some, is not bad it's good. Yeah, a lot of Spanish canned food is some of the best in the world. Exactly. Really wonderful tin fish and the idea of preserving food that you just can't get where you are, so you preserve it from another time. Right. I think as we've um, as we've become sort of more gourmands in this country, we think that everything needs to be fresh and seasonal. Like the, it's just like whatever is. The conversation is the conversation in this country, and there it's like you take the best of the season, you preserve it, and you enjoy it all year. And so it's seasonal all year, even though you're eating it in a different guise. It's a very limiting thing in a place with a growing season of approximately three or four months right. a year. And they know how to just like harvest and harness. Well, while talking about food that feels taboo or that maybe scares um, Americans who haven't had it before... Um, I want to talk about squidding. Um, mm. How do you? It's a very popular ingredient in Spanish cooking. How do you use it in your dishes? Well, we cook it with the squidding is one of the plain salt. Like it's pretty much using everything for an animal. Like the same way you use the whole pig, and you know, like from the top to the to the tail. Like the same thing was with the squid. Like when you clean it, the this, this, the ink is inside. I mean, the squid uses to defend himself when he's being attacked. So that sauce. Raw is not edible, but when it's cooked, like it's, it gives this kind of like fizzy and really delicious flavor. Is it different from octopus ink? 
It, I don't know if it's completely different, like the, but the, the, the squint has bigger bag and it's easier to locate it. And I clean many octopus, I never find the, I mean, probably somewhere in there. But it's like, it's not as easy to locate it, I guess. <laughs> you, you don't buy And you need a lot of it to like make a decent source. So like you need to like get thousands, you know, thousand squids and thousand octopus will be like <laughs> impossible to like So you manage. buy it. <laughs> yeah, but we, we use, we buy some squid ink. Definitely, but also like we use the ones when we can only squid the little bugs that are coming in, we add it onto it. Do you have any tips for somebody who wants to cook with squidding for the first time? Uh, well, it's messy, so just be careful when you clean it. <laughs> so you don't pack the bag in your hands. But besides that, and to make sure that, it's, that it boils at least for a bit. You have to cook it. It's yeah, important because exactly. it can um, actually have, it's like an irritant. A little bit. You know, like sometimes if you peel a million figs and it'll just like eat away at your fingertips, mm-hmm. like squid ink has that kind of like, I don't know if it's enzymatic, but usually anything that is enzymatic, like if you cook it, if you bring it to simmer, it stops it. And so um, cooking, I would treat squid ink like I treat a mushroom, like you should cook it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's talk about vegetables for people who are intimidated by the last conversation. <laughs> um, despite the fact that in Spain there's a lot of great meats, there's also a lot of creativity around c- cooked vegetables. Um, there's even an entire class of onion dedicated to the country, Spanish onions. Are these are these um, onions unique to Spain? That's funny. I think that's just one of those marketing terms that, um, <laughs> that took off. Um, but I suspect that, I mean, when you think of a Spanish onion – kind of like a Walla Walla or, or Maui onion or something, you're like thinking about something that's sweeter. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because the Spanish have a tradition of cooking down onion, very soft and very sweet. I mean, that's the only thing I can imagine. I've actually never been asked that question or looked into <laughs> it. But there are onions from the Basque country specifically that are from a region called Zaya. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and th- they're they're trying to get like a DO going or maybe they already have about these onions because they're like a kind of flat they're kind of like a giant pinkish cipollini like they're like and so I think mm-hmm. it's funny sometimes when I look for vegetables at the farmer's market obviously the way seeds and, and vegetables are marketed you don't know that you're getting an equivalent but like I'm always looking for that sort of purplish hued large cloved garlic that I see in Spain mm-hmm. and it is sweeter and less aggressive and uh, and then it then other garlics are so sometimes if you're just looking um optically at something if you see like that kind of flat pinkish onion even though it's not marketed as spanish onion that's that's your onion that's the one <laughs> you you want if you're making spanish food i'm not saying that we use that exclusively because uh we don't <laughs> but and we do order spanish onions at the restaurant but I think I don't know why I do that. Like it, it's funny. Like <laughs> sometimes brand. you don't know why you do what you do. Um, but when I want a really special sweet onion, that's not the onion that I that I get. And when I go to the farmers market and I want to make an onion dish, like I actually just made a three onion pie, like hand pie, because really I good. because the the bass do love onions and they cook them in a very particular way. They cook them down very slow and sweet. And, yeah. And it's, it's even they, used as a foundation for sauces, it's right? Pretty much it's the base of everything. Yeah, it's like onion and everything. <laughs> they, call it, they call it cebolla pochada, which is, means poached onion, but obviously they're not poaching in water. They're poaching in oil and then their own juices, like, slowly. Or sometimes it's called 
cebolla confitada, which is the same. They're interchangeable, and it's just a confit onion, which doesn't mean you're putting it in a vat of oil and confiting it or a, mm-hmm. a duck fat. But uh, but it's really about that, like, sort of slow and low cooking to um, to to develop this, like, sort of deep flavor that's not browned. Okay, yeah. so here is where I'm going to have 42,000 questions for you <laughs> because you have an entire section of your book dedicated to eggs and um, a very classic dish, very common in tapas bars, is the tortilla, mm. which, by the way, every time I mention on my site, somebody says, this isn't a taco. Why are you calling this a tortilla? It is one of my favorite dishes, um, this um, potato and egg omelet with onions in it usually, and they're the potatoes are slow cooked in olive oil, and I have probably I probably make it about six times a year, and I never get it just right. It's like this obsession. It's good, but it's not what great. What is not right about it? It's just oh, it's just I'm never happy with it. It's like I'm just going to be making it for the rest of my life. I think to me, and you can tell me this might be what I want, and not actually like uh-huh. the platonic ideal of a tortilla. But I am looking for something that's not too dark on the outside not dry and breaking. Mm -hmm. And then inside, it doesn't need to be fully runny, but I'd like to see it like a darker yellow, just a suggestion of like a a nine-minute egg or an eight-minute egg. And I can never get it right. few tips that it might might help. The potato is like, and it's not science at all. Like, we look at the potatoes among the onions and all everything is confit in not to hard oil for a mm-hmm. while till the potato and I can give you time because we don't really like shape they just like when the potato is done it's soft you just like strain it not brown usually you're cooking no the no you do it at such a temperature and completely cover like it's pretty much boiling in, in oil just to get them tender exactly and when that is done just like strain it for a while mm-hmm. trying to get all that oil and the trick here is like while it's still warm not hot you add it onto the egg so what you're already doing is like that egg is start like cooking I've also, with the potatoes. I've heard that you add it to the eggs and then you, you let it rest for a few minutes if you well, can you, you in, the, like, in eggs while it's still warm. Not for too long. I mean, what we do is like we put it in the big bowl with the potatoes and the eggs. Usually it's 12 eggs to like, I don't know, like how many potatoes, quarter of potatoes, something like that. Like it would be like six potatoes, let's say. And you put some salt and mix it up. And at that point, you're ready to cook it. And what is key for us, and we usually we run electric kitchens, so we don't have like flames mm-hmm. in most of them. So key of this is, like, you need side fire to, like, cook the, the omelet, I mean, the tortilla. So we use, like, you get a pan really, really hot, and you throw the whole, like, bowl of potatoes with the onions and the egg into it, and you mix it up a few times till you let it rest to get the crust underneath. And that's, like, in less than a minute and a half, you need to flip it. That's the most intimidating yes. part for most people. But that's, that's, that's the key that you flip it, like, you right... You hesitate. No, and you flip it, like, right away, like, not even in a minute in, because even if it's still, like, running and stuff, what you're trying to do is, like, close all the gaps mm-hmm. and to make sure that, like, that way it's still, like, like, like runny and creamy inside. I'm just going to need you to come over and make one. Make. I, <laughs> I, I love the way I, I have the audacity yourself. to suggest a restaurant chef should come to me to show me how to make How about I come to you come and to I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, stare well. you down while you cook it? So I'm, I was thinking that we have, like, slightly different techniques because I put some of it in and then I flip it a couple times and then I, I add the rest. But definitely the potato, if it's hot, is tempering your egg. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get this custardiness that you're looking for inside. And yeah. the, some Spaniards like it really raw, and I actually think that that preference comes from sort of a lack of grandma technique. Wow. Um, but then it becomes a preference, you know, like sometimes yeah. 
I mean, that's just, what home cooking is. It's because like, like a truly professional tortilla would be like cooked through, soft and moist, but cuttable. Like it wouldn't run out. And so, like you, you do have to, you do develop your own criteria. And mm-hmm. like, presumably, there should be no color on the outside, like a French omelet. Mm-hmm. But a little bit of color adds another flavor dimension. So some people, do you know what I mean? Like there is a little bit of latitude, but there also has to, there has to be some criteria. Like, and this is sort of what balancing sort of this notion of authenticity or traditionalism with um, individuality and. And, like, you have to take a position if you're Basque. Like, you must be on one side of the argument <laughs> or the other, you know. I'm speaking with Alice, Alexandra Rake and Eder Montero, the chefs and owners of El Quinto Pino, La Vara, Chiquito, and Chiquito, New York's only Basque restaurant for this week's Please Explain About Spanish and Basque Food. I'm Deb Perlman, in today for Leonard Lopate. We'll be back with more after a break. You're listening to WNYC and WNYC.org. here with Alexandra Rake and Eder Montero. We're talking about Basque food and Spanish cooking. And I was pummeling you guys with questions about the Spanish tortilla, which is one of my favorite dishes. And I never get it right. And I loved hearing how you talked about like the history and how you had it growing up and how it all counts to how you think it should be. I'd love to talk about some of the other ingredients too. For example, um, you talk a lot about blood sausage in the book, and is this something that's popular throughout Spain or just in certain regions? Um, all over uh, Spain. There's different regional um, styles. Like some of them have rice, some of them don't. Um, some of them are like very like sort of leek driven. Some more onion driven. So they have their variations, but definitely um, like in Catalonia it's called botifarra negra, um, and uh, in the Basque country, it's called Murcia, and it's really famous when it's from this place called Burgos. Um, but yeah, they eat a lot of blood sausage, and it's not, again, not a taboo thing. And if you've ever made blood sausage, you realize, I mean, blood is only one ingredient in it. <laughs> <laughs> How would you go about making your own at home? Well, it depends on what style you want to make. I think if you're going to take it on, making a style with rice is a good idea because it gives it some uh, body. Um, and because um, what what's really difficult when you're dealing with blood is casing it, and then it coagulates and everything's fine. So a lot of like you know Irish will make ha- like they'll put oatmeal in it and mm-hmm. stuff. And Argentina, where my parents come from, they put a lot of like actual like snout and meat and fat in it so that it's like a it's an amalgam like a like a like a bit of a um, I don't know what you call it. It's like more plasticity, right? Less we a, liquid. We have a call from Rhonda in San Jose, New Mexico. Rhonda, are you really in San Jose? No, darling, I am in Santa Fe, New oh. Mexico. <laughs> I'm, I am a native New Yorker. I moved out here. I still support WNYC, and I listen Thank to you, you guys every day, and I cannot live without Brian and, and Leonard. I, I just can't. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love listening to you. You're terrific. I'm glad you're filling in for Leonard, honestly. Um, my question is, uh, well, first of all, there used to be a, um, a Spanish Basque restaurant in Manhattan called Marichu, mm-hmm. 
Yes. And that was many, many, many moons ago, and that was near the, the UN. Um, Teresa Barnechea owned the restaurant with her husband. Um, but you're really, like, getting into the whole, the whole Basque experience. And my question was, is there a significant difference between Spanish Basque and French Basque food? Yeah, I mean, to me there is. I'm not that familiar with French Basque food, so I mean, I don't consider myself an authority on it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But the time that I've spent on the French side, I've noticed a a real difference. Um, Ah. I feel like uh, I'm going to get in big trouble for saying this, but can I say (laughs) it? I think Spanish Basque food um, has its own identity. I suppose it's related to, um, the geography and the proximity mm-hmm. of, um, the vast Spaniards to, um, to, uh, what I feel like is, um, uh, a broader varieties of, um, of, uh, regional Spanish cuisines. And I, I'm sure that under Franco, uh, there was a more of a homogenization, if you will, and that uh, that service Basque cuisine in a way. And then the way that the Basques resisted was by uh, asserting their identity. And so that preserved the integrity of the cuisine. Again, I think it's one of those things but where there's like a tension um, between uh, two things and uh, something good can come out of it, at least culinarily. Um and then when I see the French side, I see more of an emphasis on, like, lamb and peppers and less sophistication in uh, the cuisine <laughs> itself. I don't think of as many sauces coming out of the French Basque identity. Mm-hmm. Like, they have, you know, piperat. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just the, – the Spanish Basque cuisine has a bazillion mother sauces and techniques attached only to it. And – I, I mean, that's what has captivated my interest. And I look into the the French Basque side frequently to see what I can take from there because I'm a thief. And um, and <laughs> it's not been as bit. rich for me. I think it's if, – if, if the Spanish Basque side is austere, the French side is even sort of a little bit less – I will defend the French side into the it's, pastry side of it. If like they really do like have the chocolate and the pastry is much down than the Spanish side. Possibly. Can you talk a little bit about the bar culture in Spain and how food is incorporated? Well, the it's the bars it's the place that we eat. It's not like it's you know, we don't go to a restaurant to eat or like you, you go to the bar and you you might eat something standing and some tapas pinchos. Or you might sit down to do something more elaborate, but it's not a difference between like going to one or another. Like mm-hmm. you move pretty much, and this happens. It's funny because every time we go back, like we pretty much will hit the same places over and over and over again. And it's not such a like not it's not because something else something has opened, but like it's, it's, it is routine or this kind of thing was how it's been set up, and everybody knows where you will be. I have a funny story. My grandfather. Back in the day, like many years ago, there was no cell phones where they would know where their quadrilla, the group of friends, will be. It depends on the day, on the time of the day, because they will start at a certain time between whatever, five or six, 
and they will go to like 10 p.m. at night, but they always will do the same route. So you meet with them at seven, you will know they will be like in La Calle del Perro in El Barrio, you know, like, and it might be that one or the next one after, but it won't be like much of the difference. And they probably bars are like one next to each other, you know, like you go one, one, two, three, like and in one small street, you do like four or five bars. <laughs> I was just—I was gonna say—I think one of the things that's most compelling about the bar culture in Spain, throughout and and specifically in the Basque Country, is that uh, it—you see people of all ages and all sort of San Sebastian, maybe being the exception, all economic um, sort of echelons in the same bar. And sort of around the same circle, usually there's like a central circle um, or a place that's like a peatonal or like where, where cars can't go. So there's usually kids playing in the street, like generally chasing each other around under what we call oh. like these sort of like high top tables. And then there's adults drinking, chatting, smoking, eating, whatever they do. And... Um, and everyone is enjoying, and there's just, it, it creates a very sort of highly sociable and relaxed um, uh, milieu where, like, you feel like your kids are always being cared for. Even if it's not by yourself, it's by someone else or someone else's grandma. It, it allows people to be, I think, uh, very relaxed and, um, and engaged okay. with one another. Um. The the small dishes they're called tapas they're called pintos pintos pinto and are they different pintos and tapas well tapas uh, all around Spain pincho is more to the region of the Basque country okay. one of the difference usually the pincho which but that's been changed because it's no rules mm-hmm. to like determine one or the other. I've been speaking with Alexandra Rake and Eder Montero the chef and chefs and owners of El Quinto Pino. Lavara and Chiquito, New York's only Basque restaurant. Alex and Edder, thank you so much for joining us on today's Please Explain. 